You know, life is full of choices, all of us, I assume. You know, when we were children or even teens, we began to to wonder, you know, what we would do with our life as we became older. Sometimes you think about it fairly early. And, uh, you know, if you ask very young children, I, I suppose you'd get a number of different answers. Some might say, well, I'd like to be a nurse or maybe an astronaut or this or that or whatever. Oftentimes... For whatever reason, uh, children, teens change their mind or college age, and that's perfectly fine to change their minds on that level. Some years ago at summer camp, when I was looking after one of the a guy's dorms, I asked, you know, just talking to him one night, I asked them, uh, what would you like to do after high school or college? Uh, what would you like to do with your life? And one guy spoke up and said, I'd like to be either a brain surgeon or a tattoo artist. (laughs) Well, I knew he was, so to speak, he was pulling my leg. That's kind of a stretch, wouldn't you say? Brain surgeon, tattoo artist. I'm, I'm not sure about the tattoo artist part. I think God has something to say about that as well. Well, to some who are college age and, uh, you know, young adults, maybe, the future doesn't look as bright as sometimes, some decades, and we know how that goes. There's an increasingly large percentage of people who currently can't afford to buy a home. Uh, interest rate, how long that will stay up, we don't know. We know the standard of living on average for the average person is somewhat declining, of course. And again, the cost of living up about 8%, 8 plus. So in that sense in society, things don't look as good, maybe. And that applies to people of, of an older age as well. Those are on a fixed income. You know, fixed income kind of ties you down. You got what you got and the prices go up and you can't, uh, you can't spread it around as well that much. I think the answer for our young people looking forward, looking to the future, it's a question of whether one is looking to the future in society, Satan's society, and all that it has to offer, and a lot of it's not good, or the future that God has prepared for you. You know, that's a, that's a huge contrast between the two. When we're thinking about decisions, we're thinking about choices. This morning I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at what the future holds for us, actually all of us, and of course the choices that will have to be made will determine one's future. I'd like to especially speak to our young people, to even our children, our teens, our young adults, and for that matter, all of us. We're, we're to be children of God, aren't we? So we kind of all fit in this category as well. title of the sermon is, The Choice is Yours. You know, that's a large part of our life, making choices. We can make good choices. We can make not-so-good choices. We can make rash choices. We can make choices dependent on the facts. We can make choices dependent on spur-of-the-moment emotion. There's a lot of ways of making decisions and choices, uh, the outcome of which is good or bad. The world at large is not a happy place for young people, and I would say even children. You know, you've heard the stories lately in Ukraine. More than a 1,000 young children have died 
you know, not a part of the conflict at all. It's a very satanic situation ongoing. Civilians killed by the tens of thousands, and that's ongoing. It, it is Satan's world, and it's not a, a happy place looking to the future. We know what will happen. We know what will happen in society. We know the degradation of morality. Incredible. We were once even a pseudo, could I say, Christian nation, at least people who, who professed the great God, the God of the Bible anyway, whether they didn't understand it fully or not. But more and more, as one of our presidents say, we are not a Christian nation. You know, we're a Muslim nation, we're a Buddhist nation, and we're a Christian nation, is what he said. Uh, a few, a, uh, I guess a decade and a half ago, something like that. Well, a year ago, there were stories I heard about in Afghanistan, and you probably heard that too, when the U.S. was evacuating from Afghanistan, and there were children that were handled to, handed to the Marines, I think on that one air base, and given to the Marines, and I saw pictures of it, and they were flown to America, and for all we know, never to see their parents again. You know, what a sad situation you know, but it is Satan's world. Uh, it's a difficult age for all of us. We have no guarantees. But we do have one guarantee, and that is the great God. And he can look over us. He can protect us. He can be with us. He can be. He can encourage us. He can give us hope. And that applies to all of us in all our ages. Well, I think for our children to put it in terms that they can identify with, and I might ask our young people, you know, what would it be like thinking about Ukraine or thinking about future wars if your home was destroyed? You know, wouldn't that be sad? You know, all your memories and maybe photographs and maybe, uh, you know, your possessions that you really were attached to and how difficult it would be as happens, and maybe your parents would show up missing, and maybe your little sister. What a devastation that would be. This is Satan's world. You know, it's Satan's way of life, as we know, of those who are apart from the true God. But as tragic as that is, life goes on for all of us. As in the days of Noah... You know, same for us today as in the days of Noah. And it's natural for young people that your interests, whether teens or, or younger children or young adults, your interests are towards the things of your life, your friends, your family, your school, maybe college for those a little bit older. And you know that's all well and good. That's all part of the process of growing up. But, you know, in reality, we can't be blind to what's going on around us and what's over the horizon in our future. We understand prophecy. We understand also there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a bright world coming. And, of course, we have choices to be made in our life and for our young people of which direction they will choose. Matthew 24 and verse 37 Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37. And we read about the situation we're in today. As Christ overviewed it, 
and prophesied. In verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man it will be. You know, there's going to be a similarity. We know Noah was preaching of the cataclysm that would occur uh, for people to turn to God, the true God. And basically, people were marrying and giving in marriage. Life goes on. Verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking like they are today, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, you know, we, it, it's, it's really a, a close parallel. It, sure, back then it was an evil and a violent world in those days. And obviously it was the reason God destroyed humanity. But no one took the warning message except Noah and his family. And, you know, we have the same thing happening today. You know, we bring the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And what an outstanding, amazing news for people who understand it, people who take it to heart, people who look forward to that future. It gives them hope. It gives them reasons for living, incredible as it is. But, you know, most people aren't listening. Most people aren't listening to our message. But we're going to bring it to them anyway. This, this good news, this gospel of the coming kingdom of God will go to all the world. Whether they'll hit, listen or not, that's another story. It's not our job to convert them. We're like a testimony of the fact that the supreme God of the universe is going to establish his government here. And, of course, the parallel of that, he will overthrow all corrupt human government. Well, let's look at verse 21. Verse 21. For then, that's speaking of in the near future, there will be great tribulation. In other words, trouble and trial coming upon mankind. Why? Well, we know ultimately Satan's doing his worst. But later in the day of the Lord, God will... Speak to humanity, not because, as some people assume, he gets so angry he can't take it anymore. Not That's not the case. God's under control, and he will speak the only language that carnal human beings understand. Overwhelming force and power. There is a supreme God, as the scripture says so often about the day of the Lord, so they will know that I am the eternal the ever-living God, the creator of the vast universe. There will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, no, ever shall be. And that's kind of good news. It'll never be again. That's the end of the story when it comes to, except for a little time, towards the end of the, of the millennium. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, saved alive. All kinds of means of mass destruction we know today. But for the elect's sake, you know, the elect are those who have God's spirit and those who want to have God's spirit. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. 
You know, what a blessing to hear that. That's going to come to a quick end. And, of course, God will provide protection for those who are close to the great God, who have chosen to go God's way, as opposed to having one foot in the world and one foot in the truth. You know, you can't have it two ways. It's one way or the other. And that's a choice we all make. And we continue to make that choice as the years go by, even as adults. Well, World War III will be violent, much more so than World War I or World War II. Today's weapons of mass destruction. Fortunately, you and I, we don't have to be caught napping, do we? None of us, no matter what our age. We don't have to be caught unaware, so to speak, of what mankind is going to bring on itself. You know, in Joel chapter 2, a little more of what's coming before the good news is fully implemented. Incredible what God is going to bring to this planet. The opportunities, and not just this planet, but of course later the universe. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. Of course we read this at trumpets on occasion. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. And we're trying to do that in the church of God, but to the whole world. And let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. You know, they begin to recognize their only security is in the true God. Not war, not armaments. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds with thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom have never been, nor will there ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations, goes on to say, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. You know, what, what evil mankind will bring to this planet under Satan's inspiration and direction? Surely nothing will escape them. goes on to say, their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they are, run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap. Like the noise of a flame fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. You know, this, to a degree, describes Afghanistan. This, it describes Iraq of a few years ago. It describes Syria. It describes Ukraine in the present. Really, the future, when we think about the ultimate fulfillment, this would be Ukraine a hundred times over. World War III, they're coming to earth just like the flood did in Noah's day. No one believed Noah's message, and of course very few understand or want to believe our message, that cataclysmic crisis that mankind and the adversary brings upon mankind Ultimate competition at the highest level. It is always destructive. And uh, the whole theory of evolution is such that competition improves the race or in, improves 
animal life and even human life. Raw competition, extreme competition brings warfare and violence and destruction and sadness. That's Satan's way. Extreme competition. God's way. Let's work together. Let's cooperate. Let's accomplish so much more on the planet and in the universe working together. We'll get a lot further. Of course, Satan doesn't believe that, but that's uh, that's part of his story. But, you know, to our young people, the really exciting thing is that every one of our children, of our teens, of our young people, even college-age young adults, can be part of the solution. You know, we do need solutions, don't we? To this whole mess that's out there and what we will see. You know, to our young people, you can help begin this process in your own life of healing and restoring and being able to help restore later the entire earth. And where you begin this process is in your own life now. That's the start. That's the beginning. No matter how young, of course, how old we are, same story. God has plans for you, for your life. The question is, will you choose a spectacular future or will you go the way of the world? You know, it's your choice. It's our choice. We all have to make those choices, even for those who are converted. We still have choices to make. Are we going to trust the great God when things get difficult, when things get rough? Are we going to trust God or are we going to panic? You know, God is the God of it. Not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He is there for his children. He is there for us. Well, choices are part of life. God wants to see that in time we can make choices how he would make. Sometimes we need his help. We don't always know all the facts. Notice I said you must choose, particularly to our young people, our children, our teens, In other words, you must in time make a choice between going the way of the world. It may look attractive, but there's oh so much danger, so much sadness, or the amazing future in God's way of life and what God has for you and what God offers you. Life is full of choices. Deuteronomy 30 you know, this is a, I think, a key scripture we think of often. I think it was a key scripture in our family and our four children. And I think that was a, a, a key quote or scripture that my wife used <laughs> as well to our four children. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. And I call heaven and earth as a witness against you or with you, to, that I have set before you life. You want a good life? You want a real future? You want eternal life and death? That's the opposite. Sin always brings death in the end. Of course, if we're converted and we're on God's side, we have the potential for eternal life, even though we may die for a moment in our consciousness For a moment, the next thing we know, there's the resurrection. Also, blessing or cursing mean penalties. 
Therefore, choose life. It's the only logical choice for any of us. You know, we automatically, we want good things for ourselves, don't we? Doesn't everybody want good things for themselves? Choose life that you and your descendants may live. Now, live for now, maybe protection in the future, but eternal life in particular. And verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. You know, it's, it's the good way. It works. I guess that's the short and the sweet. God's way of life works. I've told new people that occasionally. Maybe they think it's overly too simple. But the truth of the matter is, to the extent we apply it, and only to the extent we apply it, not everybody applies it among us the same way, but to the extent we apply God's law, it works. There are blessings. Well, I'm not talking about wealth. We're talking about the internal blessings, the spiritual blessings, and God's intervention from time to time. Well, those are, let's say, God's words to all of us, our young people, and all of us of any age as well. I'd like to look just briefly a little more background at 1 Corinthians 7. You know, there used to be, I used to hear in Worldwide way back when, when we were first in the church, occasionally parents would say, oh, I, it doesn't look like God's calling our children, our teens. Well, they were wrong. They absolutely were wrong. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. You know, parents have to, and children have to, they have a choice, as a, as I'm trying to indicate. Children have a part in it, but parents also can guide. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified. That means made special to God. At least that's that potential. That person has access to God if they choose. There's a choice by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But they're not. They're holy. They're sanctified. They're special to God. In God's sight, children of a converted member, a member who has God's Spirit, has direct, children have direct access to God if they choose. It's up to young adults. It's up to teens. It's up to children to be thinking that way as best they can. So God offers them an invitation to become a child of God as a member of his family, when they're old enough, as they grow that way, if that's their heart desire, to inherit the earth. And we're told that way so many times in Scripture, the righteous shall inherit the earth. And eventually, the universe. That's another story. Well, again, years ago, some assumed our children just weren't being called. And again, scripturally, those who assumed it, we're wrong. Acts chapter 2. I came across this verse a few years ago, and I've read it, and we've all read it, and it just suddenly hit me fully what it means. Acts 2 and verse 39. And it says here, well, let's start in verse 38. Peter said to them, as he's speaking on that day of Pentecost, repent 
Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now notice verse 39. For the promise is to you. Now in this case, uh, we're speaking of access to God because children are included. The promise is to you, notice, and your children. There's three categories here we'll look at. The promise is to those who are assembled, who are are there present on Pentecost, to you and your children. God wasn't promising his spirit to them right then and there. It was to have access to God if they choose. And number three, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord may call. And there you have it. Access to the great God, potentially being sanctified at least, is to those who seek God as adults or young adults, and our children, children of a converted member, do have access to God if they choose. And those whom, who, else, who else God may call. Most of our young people then have direct access today to the Internet, okay? Most, some don't, but most do. You know, if you don't log on, what happens? Well, you don't get connected to the Internet, do you? No, you don't. You may also have direct access to the supreme creator of the universe. But if you never log on, nothing happens. It's the way it works. You must, slowly but surely depending on your age, begin to seek God. You must log on. In both examples, access to God, access to the Internet, must be initiated by you. The Internet won't do it for you, and the great God won't do it for you. You know, that's something we have to recognize. As teens and young adults in the church, from God's perspective... The ball is in your court. Remember, you must log on. You can't expect some bolt out of the blue. Suddenly you're like, oh, God's trying to reach me. You know, you have access to the great God already. You'll never, at least, there may be a rare exception to have a supernatural experience. That would be a blessing. But God's word should be our guide. We're not looking for signs and wonders about this. And if one is interested in what God has to offer, we'll talk about that in a moment. Well, since you have access to God, the process begins with you seeking God, not the other way around. And this is true of any of us and all of us who already have God's Spirit. There are times we need to draw closer to God. And we know it. We must draw closer to him, and he will draw closer to us. The scripture says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. That's James 4, 8. You know, it's always our move. The process always starts when you come to the understanding that you really need God and you want what he has to offer, all the good things in life and the future. And 
as you really seek God, you look for and you want all the blessings that God has to offer you or will offer you, that he thinks is good for you, the way of life, his interventions, incredible. That's something we can't see, you know. The disciples, the apostles saw Christ one-on-one. We haven't had that experience, and they were blessed. But the scripture also says, as blessed as he who believes and does not see. You know, we don't need the proof, let's say, of Christ coming down and standing wherever. We, we see God's word. Hopefully we prove the truth. We prove the reality of the great God. I know that was something I started not growing up in the church, but started in my high school years, beginning to realize that evolution was incredibly wrong, naive to think that chaos and tohu and bohu and all the rest, you know, genetic mutation can produce something beautiful, something amazing, something that at times in younger years can heal itself. In a sense, the body is made to repair itself, at least for a certain few years as well. We're not made to live forever in the flesh. God says, I have something better for you. There is a physical body and there is a spiritual body, very powerful body that I'm sure all of us want, you know. Every once in a while we realize as we get older, you know, uh, we all start needing a few parts and pieces, some replacement parts. But I, I want the whole package, not just a part here or there. For me, at the moment, it's my ears. It, <laughs> it's, it's some occasional dizziness with Meniere's inner ear issue. I want some spiritual errors down the road. All right. Well, we know it, it depends on the choices that one makes. And one can start seeking God long before it's time for baptism. You know, it's the way one programs their life. They want to be a part of the team, including down the road, a stable marriage, to the right converted person that God may bring in their life. We can't do that on our own, and a parent certainly can't do that. But, of course, God has the power. He has the resources to accomplish that. You want God to help you make all the major decisions, and there are a lot of them, especially for teens. You're thinking at the future or college, what will I do? Maybe who eventually would I might marry? I have no idea. You know, lots of decisions. There's a big question mark. Well, God is there. To help fill in the blanks. Well, God will help one. You know, those decisions about their future, even job or career. Because deep down, you know that God really does want what's best for you. He's on your side. He's a loving God. But in our own actions, there are blessings for obedience. And there are penalties when we violate God's way of life. You know, we we see it, we know it, we experience it, we believe it. Well, again, there's always choices in life. You come to the conclusion that you want to be a part of the future, the awesome future, as part of the family of God, as a junior member of the family of God in the future. That will enable you to enjoy life, yes, now to a degree, but as a spirit being, as no human being had ever come close to, 
not even close to what you'll experience as a powerful child of God's, son of God, or we could say daughter of God. For our young people and all of us present who truly want the greatest success possible, well, we look forward for those who do. We're talking about the next thousand years of the millennium, don't we? And eventually, for those who are part of God's family at that time, being a representative of the God family, you know, they will have, even for our young people who go that route, they will have honor, they will have position, and they will have wealth, but not to fulfill your sense of importance, but to better the lives of humanity. And you will have a totally fulfilling job helping other human beings reach their full potential in the kingdom of God. You know, it's going to be a thrilling time when you also be able to take a war-torn area, part of the world, like Ukraine, and really begin to establish peace. The Bible has a lot to say about rebuilding and bringing security and food and all the other things that human beings want and need for stable lives. But, you know, our change or our resurrection will occur first. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 and verse 1. I like this chapter. I assume you do too. To me, it pictures an excitement of the future change, resurrection. Incredible. Arise, shine, for your light has come. You know, it pictures a time that says arise, shine. You know, in the change, if you're alive, or resurrection, being fully glorified as a powerful member of the God family, a junior member of the God family. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. In other words, you'll be fully glorified. You'll be similar, though only a junior member of the family, but similar, the same type of being as Jesus Christ. Of course, you'll want to turn down that glorification, I assume, on occasion, when you're working with human beings. You don't want to overdo it. You want them to feel secure and safe. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness will cover the earth. Tribulation, the day of the Lord, Satan doing his worst. Darkness shall cover the earth. In deep darkness, the people. And what a wretched time Satan brings on the world. And humanity gives in, does not resist. Deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you. And that's, that's God is talking to us here, all of us. And his glory will be seen upon you. The glory of the Elohim family, you know, not a different, not some other kind of species to use a biological term, not a super angel or, a, you know, a pseudo saint of the world, but a fully glorified member of the God family, a son of God, or we could say a daughter of God, a brother of Christ, a sister of Christ. Incredible. The Gentiles, meaning the nations, shall come to your light. It's going to be seen. They're going to recognize what's happening in time. It's going to take a little while. And kings, to the brightness of your rising, 
Well, that will be incredible as well. We're going to attract the attention of other human beings, even the kings of the earth, or rulers of various sorts, will seek us out. Eventually, after things get straightened out, and humanity begins to realize, wow, there is a supreme creator after all. We didn't evolve like I heard with a James Webb telescope, the scientists, you know, watching PBS. And they give you the, the spiel about how the universe came into existence, which they can't explain. But I remember one, uh, one lady saying, isn't it amazing how the universe created us? <laughs> I think. Incredible intelligent ignorance. Like, is there is such a thing? Intelligent ignorance. You know, not even close to being a reality. We're going to laugh, I think, with human beings in the millennium about how those naive people used to believe in the religion of evolution, which it is. <clears throat> well, some of who are younger may wonder, well, what if I'm not old enough to be baptized at the time of Christ's return? Verse 4, lift up your eyes all around and see... They all gather together. They come to you, and they begin to realize what's happening. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. You know, children of converted members, I would take it this way. You could, you could take it other ways, too. But children of converted members who are the parents, who are now spirit beings, will be will take care of, Apparently, if they're a young offspring, you know, being taken care of, of one's parent that a, a child or a young person recognizes, now how secure would that be, re- recognizing they're now a powerful spirit being? That would be so comforting to have a parent who is now fully glorified and in much greater capacity than we as parents are now, much greater capacity in time Wisdom and understanding. We're still going to have to grow, but being able to have the full measure of God's Spirit. Verse 5. Then you shall see and become radiant. Wow. And your heart will swell with joy. It's kind of like saying, this is it. Maybe you wake up from the grave or you're alive and you realize, whoa, this is it. All this time... We've been waiting for it. Now it's happening. Because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. You know, the wealth of the ocean, it's not fully realized. But it's going to be there as part of the resources to help rebuild the world and to change the world from poverty. And in time, the standard of living will rise. Not like the wealthy of today, but the standard of living will be more than adequate. The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The Gentiles, that means the nations. And it's not going to be hoarding. There's going to be a worldwide abundance of resources. The meek will inherit the earth. That means you and me and those with God, those who choose to go God's way. So all this resource and wealth of the earth and the ocean will be used for the good of mankind. Verse 8. 
who are these who fly like a cloud? I, I kind of like that, you know. It's like the resurrected or those who are changed. They're no longer chained in, by gravity to the planet. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? You know, to me, that, that uh, beautifully illustrates the feeling you would have being changed, no longer being subject to the laws of physics in the same way, kind of celebrating your resurrection, your change. I remember a few years ago, uh, one of our, our younger daughter and our son-in-law on Father's Day took me and my wife into Yosemite, one of my favorite places on earth, especially the higher elevations to get away from the crowds. And we drove up to Glacier Point, and I remember standing there. It was a perfect day, crystal clear, down in the valley, about 2,500 feet. I could see the Merced River and campfires and, uh, and El Capitan across the valley, 3,000 feet of vertical granite. Incredible beauty and in creation. So we're standing there at Glacier Point looking down, and there's a rail holding us back, Okay. Some people get kind of a little bit tipsy when they get that close to a cliff. And I was thinking then, someday I want to come back here, and I don't want to be on this side of the rail. I want to be out there. I'm talking about as a spirit being. I want to see the world from another vantage point. Incredible. My wife and I, in years gone by, did a lot of backpacking, and we enjoyed it. And it was a lot of hard work. But being a spirit being, saying part of the earth will not take a lot of hard work in the way we knew it. It's going to be effortless and joyful. Continuing, I believe. Well, I think we would pretty well cover that. I don't know if you've ever, especially our children, if you ever wish you could fly. Um, I, you know, as I was thinking about this, I started getting flashbacks to when I was a kid. And I began to remember, yeah, I did have a, a lot of dreams where I actually could fly. And I thought that was pretty neat. And, you know, all I had to do is flap my arms hard enough and, hey, it worked. <laughs> and then I wake up, you know, oh, no, I, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, that's then. This is now or the future, we might say. Finally, as we look forward as actual members of the God family, you know, we're ready to go to work, putting the world back together, changing the world for peace, prosperity, stability, happiness, joy, a fruit of God's spirit, joy, you know, knowing you're part of what's lasting and eternal. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 and verse 3. One of our projects at that time, strengthen the weak hands. You know, those who have been weakened in so many ways by war, by disease, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted in a world of fear out there, God's word so many times says, many, many times says, fear not. 
Fear not. It's in context normally with God being present in your life. If God is not present in our life, we have reason to be fearful. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance upon the evil in the world. With the recompense of God, he will come. He will come to save you. That's God's purpose, to save us. He wants every last human being who, who, who wills, who desires to be eventually part of the family of God. Incredible. Be strong. Fear not. That's going to be part of our job. You know, we'll have the wherewithal to accomplish that, to reassure them, to save them from starvation, disease, warfare, and all the evils of Satan's world. Let's move back to Isaiah. This time, Isaiah 61 and verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. You know, I find that exciting. Uh, not rebuilding Los Angeles proper with 10 million. No. Or San Francisco or Salt Lake City in the same way. But, you know, my wife and I travel over the, around the West visiting congregations and our pastors. And when you get off the coast, most of it's empty. Most of it. There's a whole lot more cows than people out there. And, Population as it grows will be spread out. Rain in due season. It will be prosperous everywhere. They shall rebuild the old ruins and they shall raise up the former desolations. Maybe there's, you know, former cities that are, are small towns that have been abandoned as, they, as people flock to the big cities. Now we're going to have vibrant life in the interior of the continent. Uh, not devastation and drought, as we're coming to see. And they shall repair ruined cities, building them God's way, the desolation of many generations. You know, think how long it would take to rebuild Ukraine, if you've been following it, for example. But you and I will have virtually unlimited resources on the planet and we'll have the time to do it right and the knowledge. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings in Jerusalem, will give us the format. We'll be taught. We'll be fast learners. As we won't have the slow-moving brain like I have a lot of the time, foggy, you know. And uh, it will be learning curve will be so fast. I think of it as kind of like downloading off of the Internet very quickly as far as learning. Maybe we'll have an up. Uh, let's say uh, we'll be updated in Jerusalem early on. We will see. <clears throat> well, we will do it right, rebuilding the cities and, of course, rebuilding the lives of suffering humanity, those who are hopeless, depressed, suicidal, and all the rest. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and beginning in 34. And it says in verse 34 of Ezekiel 36, The desolate land shall be tilled. You know, it's going to be farmed. Rain in due season. Incredible 
acreage, let's say, across America that doesn't have, especially the American West, rain in due season, that potentially will be vibrant with growth and production, you know, establishing potential for a very large population as, you know, succeeding generations over that thousand years. Desolate land should be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of who passed by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Uh, wow, that, you can't fully imagine what the Garden of Eden was like. But, you know, God designed it, constructed it. You know, it was perfect. And it's going to be similar in time. And it goes on to say, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Can you imagine the beauty in time? It's going to take a while. Human beings are going to have to pitch in and clean up their mess. You know, like make your bed. This will be on a bigger scale. Clean up your mess. You know, all that blight and crime and big city crime and ghettos and gangs and all the rest. And what a new world. And actually, the Creator will bring the forces of nature fully under control. And, you know, what a blessing that will be. There will be no more drought, no more floods, no more overwhelming violence of nature like tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes like Ian, you know, of a couple of weeks ago, Puerto Rico, Florida, really devastated parts of Florida. Gentleman who used to work with me professionally uh, had a home on, I believe, at Sanibel Island. And you see any pictures of that? The, the causeway is destroyed. The homes are flattened. And people with money, by and large, live there. But, of course, you know, what does bring this kind of destruction? It's the sin of mankind. It's the rejection of the Creator. And the forces of nature, you might say, do what it does. And God's going to control those forces in the future. God promises rain in due season, as I mentioned. Now, when the world's obeying God, think how productive. Right now, in so much of the West, those who lead, I guess, are going to be fighting over water. We're running out of water. And we see that. The big major reservoirs, even in our area in California, and all the major reservoirs are getting lower and lower. About, I think Lake Mead is about 27% of what is when it was full. What are they going to do in Las Vegas when the water runs out or the hydroelectricity quits running because the water's too low and the lights go out? Well, of course, that's part of what's going to be changed. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 and verse 2. 26-2. And God is saying, hey, this is the way to a better life. You shall keep my Sabbaths. Sounds pretty reasonable to me, doesn't it? A day off from work. And reverence my sanctuary. I am the eternal. He's saying, look, I created this planet. 
and the galaxies in the first place. I can tell you how to have a good life. Believe me. If you walk in my statutes, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, you know, do more than know them, you know, have them become part of the, of the way you live. Not just something you know, but you live. Then I will give you rain in season. Right? The land will yield its produce. Good. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. It's got to be abundant. No worry about reservoirs drying up. And your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, meaning really productive harvests. We all have healthy food for a change. Even that's going to radically change as far as our food system, but that's another story. And the vintage shall last till the time of the sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Nobody's going to take it away. And I will give peace in the land, guaranteed. And you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. You know, none. you won't have to worry. Yeah. God is saying to particularly the physical human beings that are present during the millennium. Well, currently God allows nature to a degree to take its course because of violence, because of sin. It's rampant on the earth as in the days of Noah. So the same today. But you know, as part of the God family, You'll have the opportunity to visit the rest of the earth. Wouldn't you like that? You know, <laughs> you've got a region somewhere, and when it gets dark in your area, there's always going to be somewhere on the other side of the earth. You won't need to waste a third of your life unconscious. That's good today, but it's going to be a waste of time then. You'll, you'll be able to be alert uh, 24 hours a day, and I would assume visit other realms of the planet. Well... When the environment is totally cleaned up, the planet and time will dazzle you. And you know, we enjoy certain high points, Grand Canyon, Yosemite. But we're talking about more of the planet when it's taken care of, when it's restored. God made the earth to be used, cared for, and enjoyed. So the bottom line is you're going to enjoy life in the kingdom of God as the most thrilling, rewarding experience that you could ever imagine. And as the years roll by, you will have excitement and the satisfaction of seeing other human beings under your guidance, including potentially your own descendants, entering the family of God and being placed under your loving guidance and oversight. Different responsibilities for the family of God. What a, what a fulfilling job that will be when you, when you no longer lack the resources, you don't lack the energy or the time or the knowledge. You have those resources, and you can be so successful. The jobs God will give us in the millennium and beyond. Well, you know, most people would automatically say, if they know a little, even a little bit about the truth, yeah, I want to be there. But, of course, the question becomes, how are you going to get there? That's the question. Remember, we have to access God. We have to log on continually, be in connection with the great God, 
continually. Remember Christ said, in effect, be in contact always, pray always, in other words, daily, pray always at these things that will all come to pass, that will you'll be standing before the Son of God at his return. I, I take that to mean spiritually, but also physically, as a physical live being. Incredible to still be alive, to be an eyewitness. You know, you'll be much more effective this generation, eyewitnesses to the trauma and toil of Satan's world. You'll be able to say, I was there. Let me tell you how it was. And you can also say, let me tell you how life can be when you're following God and God's purpose. We all have to remember, no matter what our age, but particularly our young people, our children, our teens, our college age, we have to log on. We have to make the first move. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. And it's talking about timing in our life. And this is true whether we're young or old. And I have counseled individuals for baptism that were 80 and some that were 20. I think maybe even 18. Isaiah 55, 6. And, and it, it joins us to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near, while you have the knowledge and maybe the will and the understanding. He's near in your life. So God is telling us, no matter what our current age, we have to seek God while we have the heart, we have the mind, we have the will to seek God. Many young people years ago left God's church. They wanted to experience Satan's world. They lacked understanding. They didn't stick around long enough, nor did they look into it in some cases some years ago. And in some cases, after a few years, they had lost the will and the heart to seek God. They, la- they lost understanding. It can evaporate. And consequently for them, you know, God cannot be readily found. Now, I'm not saying they're done for. I don't believe that. They may be done for as far as being firstborn. Yes. The second resurrection, of course, Mr. Weston will, will talk about the second resurrection on the last great day. Well, God says, seek him while he may be found in your life. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1, it says, Ho, or in other words, Hey, everyone who thirsts, everyone who wants, come to the waters. In this case, we're speaking spiritually. God's Spirit is part of the equation. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. You don't need money to seek God. You can't buy your way. Yet, come buy wine, symbolically, and milk, without money, without price. God will provide the good things. And why do you spend money for what is not bread? You know, this world's toys, you know, in themselves they're not wrong, but that's our focus that's wrong. And your wages for what does not satisfy, you know, so many things. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. In other words, the truth of God. 
taken inward. And let your soul, your life, delight itself in abundance in the things of God, the way of life, the future. Incline your ear. In other words, tune in to the great God and come to me. And your soul, your life shall live. Of course, we know now and ultimately forever. We're talking about the future. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, an agreement, a contract. We think of it as the new covenant, but it's a contract between you and God. And God says, God says, basically, if you stick with me, if you seek me fully, I'll take care of all your needs. I'll intervene for you and protect you at times. And and yet I will give you eternal life and I will share eternity with you. Well, that covenant, that contract we make with God when we enter Baptism, laying out of hands, receiving after repentance, receiving God's Spirit. We're tied into the, a, the world's best contract. You might say the path to total success. David committed some serious sins. And yet he deeply repented and God showed him abundant mercy and blessed him greatly. God can do the same for you and all of us. You know, it's not how we start, it's how we finish. Solomon recognized way back when, and Solomon recognized that the answer to human happiness was to begin the process as early as possible, as early as we have the possibility, the knowledge. Ecclesiastes 12 Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Good advice. And Solomon said in, in verse 1, Remember now your Creator. It gets right to the point. Who made you in the first place. In the days of your youth, best time to start. You know, slowly but surely, focusing on the great God, having confidence in Him. Before the difficult days come, you know, uh, in adult life, there are difficult times. Society is not built for God, to support God's way of life. It's built to detract from from God's way of life. That is, Satan's way of life is there to, by Satan's agenda to detract you from the better way, the better life. Before the difficult days come, you know, maybe later in life, you don't have the health or the energy or the resources to do what you could have done when you're younger. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I suppose some people get to that point in suffering, but they also know they have a, still have joy in their life. They also know there is a future. If they've been with God, there is a change, whether it's a change or a resurrection. But there is a change from the physical to the spiritual very powerful spirit life, never tired, never lacking of energy, never lacking resources, never lacking the know-how to get the job done. Well, you know, Solomon recognized if one does not take advantage and I'll say log on when they have the opportunity, you know, it's easy to get swallowed up by society, Satan's world, we live a life then that's frustrating. 
maybe empty at times apart from God and His way. Let's go go turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I've always been thankful that uh, this book of Ecclesiastes is there. (laughs) It kind of teaches you no matter how much you want to accumulate and acquire and experience, in the end, you're going to be frustrated. It won't last forever. Human beings aren't programmed to live forever. You can't take it with you, they say. Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon, at the height of his power, kind of like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, all rolled into one. And probably the wealthiest, if you put take it all together, the wealthiest human being probably has ever lived. Verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. I'll, let's see if having a good time is the answer. And enjoy pleasure. Well, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And Solomon had his share for a while. But surely this is, it's translated in the New King James vanity, but I think just as accurately, futility. It's not going to last. I said of laughter, madness, you can laugh yourself silly, but it's not going to bring you a better life. And of mirth, why does, what does it accomplish in the long run? Yeah, we, we should enjoy life and have humor, but that's not the focus of life. And I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. I don't believe he was ever a drunkard, but he decided he, he had the resources to check wine out, to build vineyards. I don't know how many varieties of grapes, but he had the resources. Well, guarding my heart with wisdom... So I take it here he didn't lose it in addiction. And how to lay hold on folly, that till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do do under heaven all the days of their lives. Verse 3. Verse 4. I made my works great. I built myself houses, actually huge palaces, and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens. And orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees. You know, I've always enjoyed that part of uh, nature as well. You know, where you work with nature outdoors, maybe your own garden. And and in verse 6, I made myself water pools, you know, his own irrigation system way back when. From which to water the the growing trees of the grove. And I acquired male and female servants. I mean, he didn't have to lift a finger if he didn't want to. And servants born in my house generation after generation. And yet I had greater possessions of herbs and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. You know, he could have filet mignon or tri-tip or whatever you wanted. He wanted every meal. If he wanted it, probably wouldn't be good for him, but he wasn't short of resources. And I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures, kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. So he didn't need any electronic music. It was, it was alive and, and the best whenever he wanted it to accompany his, maybe his mood or entertain those he invited. Incredible. And let's move on to verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I had it all. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. It's kind of sad when you see the direction. 
For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. So he's saying, okay, I enjoy doing this and that. And then later, Solomon realized, wait a minute. I'm not going to live forever. This isn't going to extend in the future with me. I'm going to die. Why am I doing all this? And of course, verse 11, And I looked on all the works of my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. Indeed, all was futility. In the end, most rich people, wealthy people will get to that point. Futility, grasping for the wind, nothing lasting. There was no profit under the sun. He's saying it's futility. It's frustrating. It's like trying to grab a hold of fog. You can't do it. And, of course, the only ultimate happiness and joy is when you have a close contact with God. That's the only time. Well, I think it's a blessing to have this example included in the Bible to demonstrate the fact that if we indulge ourselves to the hilt, we want to experience the world. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring joy. We have to seek our Creator, really, to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be joyful, to truly enjoy pleasures forever in the family of God, in the end. That's what God is offering. So in conclusion, you and I have a choice. We still have choices to make. Our young people have vital choices to make. You can be part of the problem on the planet, or you can be part of the solution. We can choose to ignore the great God and suffer the consequences and bring those consequences in our life, a lot of frustration, a lot of emptiness, or we can seek our God as early as we have the mind and the will to, and enjoy all the blessings that God has to offer in this life, yes, to a degree, but more so forever. Repeating again the verses that we read earlier, I call heaven and earth as a witness today with you, against you, that I have set before you life and death, the way of the world, God says. Blessings and penalties are curses. Therefore, in other words, the only logical thing is to choose life that both you and your future descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. It's good for you. Obey his voice that you may cling to him. He's there for you. For he is your life. He's your only possibility for future life. And the length of your days, about forever. That you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In this case, it includes the whole earth. And later, the universe. If you choose, if you make the right choices early, when you have the mindset and understanding, remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. God will bring you an abundant life in this life, and more so forever. You know, as always, it's your choice. Choose life that you may live.